Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to Face Connecticut, everybody. I'm Morgan Cunningham on WTIC News Talk 1080, Light 100.5 WRCH at 96.5 TIC. Our guest this morning is Dr. Deepak D'Souza, a professor of psychiatry at the Yale School of Medicine. Yale is establishing a center for the science of cannabis and cannabinoids. Dr. D'Souza will be leading efforts to understand how cannabis affects mental health and psychology. That's what we're going to explore this morning. Good morning, doctor. Welcome to the program. Good morning, and thanks for having me on the program. Thank you so much for coming on. In general, what is the background of this new center that Yale is launching? Well, as uh, the landscape of uh, cannabis changes, uh, both in our country, in our state, and across the globe, um, and uh, cannabis is now available as retail in Connecticut as of January, uh, there are changes in the um, strength of cannabis, um, uh, and uh, with the increasing commercialization of cannabis, I think it will be important for us to understand the impact if any, uh, these changes have on uh, brain development and mental health. So that is the background to why the university has decided to create the center so that it can keep Yale at the cutting edge um, of uh, the science of cannabis and cannabinoids. Is there any one aspect that you yourself are going to be focusing on? Yes, I've been studying cannabinoids for about 25 years, and uh, I'm really interested in the impact of cannabis on people with serious mental illness. Um, and I'm also quite interested in the uh, potential um, uh, addiction to cannabis uh, in people who use it on a regular basis. So I've been studying that for a number of years, but this center will then bring together other researchers at Yale um, who might um, bring a different skill set and may be asking slightly different questions, but collectively we may be able to advance the field and provide the kind of um, scientific information that would inform uh, public health. When you're talking about a serious mental illness, could you give some examples about perhaps some of those mental illnesses that you're concerned about? Are we talking about depression, schizophrenia, something else? I'm, I'm talking about uh, schizophrenia, um, bipolar disorder, and depression. Um, there is quite a bit of uh, evidence um, that 
dates back to almost 200 years ago, um, that people who um, consume large amounts of cannabis may be at risk for the development of schizophrenia. And as you know, schizophrenia is perhaps one of the more uh, more impactful um, of mental illnesses, given that it strikes often uh, well before a person reaches their full potential. Um, And it can often be a lifelong illness. And so um, uh, I think there's a a concern uh, based on some epidemiological evidence collected over the last maybe 100 years or so, suggesting that uh, daily heavy uh, cannabis use and the use of highly potent forms of cannabis in some individuals may be associated with the development of, of uh, schizophrenia. So um, that, that is where I started this journey more than 25 years ago. And since then, there's been accumulating evidence from a number of centers around the world uh, about the potential risk for serious mental illness related to heavy early cannabis use. Um, so uh, that is... Uh, that is one of the main focuses of uh, the center, looking at the impact on the developing brain and uh, serious mental illness. Uh, What we know about schizophrenia is that it typically manifests between the age of 15 and 25, and there is accumulating evidence suggesting that schizophrenia may be a neurodevelopmental disorder, meaning to say that something goes awry with brain development, typically in adolescence. Now we know that the brain has its own cannabis-like substance, um, and it's and the brain has an endocannabinoid system, just like the brain has um, an opioid system and makes its own opioid-like substances that we call endorphins. Likewise, the brain makes cannabis-like substances, and and we know that the endocannabinoid system is very important, uh, plays an important role in brain development, especially during adolescence. And therefore, uh, exposure to cannabis during adolescence may perturb this endocannabinoid system, which is involved in brain development. And in doing so, in perturbing that system may lead to far-reaching consequences, one of which could be serious mental illness like schizophrenia. And so, um, this center hopefully will will be able to conduct studies that might help us understand how exposure to cannabis uh, at different stages of brain development may lead to uh, consequences. When we're talking about getting exposed to cannabis and the possibility of it being linked to a serious mental illness when exposed during adolescence. Are we talking about consuming it, smoking it, maybe inhaling it if somebody else is smoking it um, and you're getting it secondhand? Is there any kind of insight on that? It's unlikely that secondhand exposure is going to have um, you know, any serious consequences. I'm really speaking about people uh, consuming it either by with edibles or smoking it or vaping it. Um, Now, just to put things in perspective, that the overwhelming majority of people who use cannabis use it sparingly 
uh, and in limited quantities and with limited frequency. And in those overwhelming majority of people, they don't experience negative consequences. But for reasons we don't fully understand, heavy cannabis use and the and initiating cannabis use at an early age and using potent forms of cannabis in some people is associated with the development of serious mental illness like schizophrenia. We don't understand why some people are more vulnerable than others. And hopefully that would be one of the questions we'd like to try and answer um, with with the studies that we do in our center. Uh, Can we identify what might place one individual at risk for some of these serious consequences of cannabis or conversely, do we have an understanding of why some people don't experience any negative consequences? Has there been any prior research to this point in time on the issue? Yes, there has been a lot of research. As I mentioned, almost 200 years ago, a French physician um, by the last name Moreau published a, a book in in French, which has been translated. Where at the time in Paris, there was a, a group of people who were using large amounts of hashish. Hashish, as you know, is one form of cannabis. And he described almost 200 years ago, even before the concept of schizophrenia, as we now know it, was, was even uh, conceived, he described that some of the people who were using heavy amounts of hashish reported symptoms that we, in our current nosology, we would call psychotic symptoms or symptoms of schizophrenia. So that was recognized almost 200 years ago. What really drew a lot more attention to it in the last century was an important study done in Sweden. As you know, Sweden has a a draft, so all uh, young males have to join uh, the armed forces, uh, I think at the age of 18. And in that study that involved, I think, more than 50,000 people, uh, 50,000 young men, they found that those who had used cannabis um, to a significant extent were, in that initial study, shown to be at much greater risk for the development of later schizophrenia. So that is to say, if you reported using cannabis at the time of conscription, your risk for schizophrenia was much higher. In the early study, it was somewhere between four and six-fold. And that really led to, um, that raised consciousness about the potential risk of schizophrenia with cannabis in that study published by Andreasen in, I believe it was 1985. Since then, there have been a number of studies from other parts of the world that um, addressed some of the limitations of that early study. And collectively, it seems like the risk for schizophrenia in people who use cannabis is between two and fourfold higher than if you don't use cannabis. Now, in those people who are using on uh, cannabis on a daily basis, who are using um, potent forms of cannabis, and who begin using cannabis in early adolescence, their risk could be as much as nine times higher. Um, To put that in perspective, um, when we think about another drug and consequence, one might consider 
the relationship between smoking cigarettes and lung cancer. And in, so in, to put things in perspective, the risk of developing lung cancer uh, in smokers versus non-smokers is between 50, 15 and 30 times higher. So clearly the strength of the association between lung cancer and smoking cigarettes is a lot higher than the strength of the relationship between cannabis exposure and uh, and the development of schizophrenia. So uh, just to, uh, to go back to your question, yes, there have been a number of studies that have been done uh, from around the world, Sweden, New Zealand, other parts of, the, uh, of, the, uh, of Europe, showing that the risk for schizophrenia um, is between two and four times greater in those who use cannabis. What does Yale need in order to make these studies and all of this research come together so we get a better understanding? What are you guys lining up now and outlining now so research can begin right away? So the first would be, uh, you know, uh, what a center essentially does is to bring people together. Uh, you know, there are there may have been people, there are people I know who are doing research at Yale uh, re- that's relevant to cannabis um, in, in different labs. But what the center will hopefully do is to bring those people together so that they can join forces um, and bring different skill sets and ask different questions so that collectively um, they may be able to contribute to the field to a much greater extent than if they were to do this work independently. Now, a center constitutes people, as I mentioned, scientists at Yale. It uh, constitutes ideas. So we will develop common ideas that we're going to try and work towards and to try and uh, questions that we may want to answer. And then lastly, uh, the center needs resources. And so, I'm pleased to say that um, the leadership at Yale has uh, committed resources uh, to provide um, funding uh, so that we can conduct pilot studies, uh, which might generate the kind of scientific data that we would need to then submit funding applications to the National Institute of Health uh, to be able to do uh, much longer term studies. When are you looking to get all of this started? We are hoping to begin a pilot funding program sometime within the next six months. When that time comes, how will the studies actually be conducted with participants? So some of the studies uh, will be, uh, may involve human participants. Other studies might involve laboratory studies. Um, and as yet, we have not yet, we've not yet picked exactly what studies we might do. But the studies could include, for example, um, looking at um, uh, using brain imaging technologies to look at the brain of brains of people who are now adults, but who started using cannabis in adolescence and have been smoking a lot of cannabis. We would like to look at their brain, compare it to people who are not using cannabis or people who are using other kinds of drugs. And once, those, once we decide what studies we're going to do, we would then um, 
submit those studies for review by um, the ethics committees at Yale. Uh, and then once the studies are approved, we would then advertise recruiting for those studies. And um, then people in, you know, in Connecticut can, if they are eligible, might be able to participate in those studies. We have a, a number of ongoing studies right now. Um, for example, we are looking at um, uh, using a very sophisticated brain imaging approach called positron emission tomography. We are looking at the number of synapses or connections in certain parts of the brain in people who are using cannabis versus people who are not using cannabis. So we do have ongoing studies right now and people can you know, just go on the Yale website and find, find those studies and give us a call. And if they're eligible, uh, they would be able to participate in those studies. Um, and then as the center starts up, we may add newer studies. Uh, and at that time, we'll advertise those studies. Dr. Deepak D'Souza is our guest this morning on Face Connecticut. He is a professor of psychiatry at the Yale School of Medicine, Yale, which is establishing a center for the science of cannabis and cannabinoids. And understanding how they impact mental health is what Dr. D'Souza is focusing on. Doctor, I know that the Department of Consumer Protection here in the state of Connecticut, for example, uh, holds public comment and meetings from time to time to discuss marijuana policy issues, especially now that the recreational market has been legal for a month. Are you going to be taking any of your findings and making present presentations to them or other avenues for presentations of what you guys are learning as you're going about this research? Absolutely. The whole point of doing uh, this kind of work is to inform uh, society and inform the public. And so whatever new information we learn will be disseminated, not just amongst colleagues in science, but at the end of the day, um, we want to inform the public. If we find, for example, uh, there are we can, that we can identify who is at risk for the negative consequences of cannabis, that would be very important information to disseminate to the public. And that would be done uh, through a number of potential channel, channels, including um, you know, scientific papers, uh, interviews like I'm doing right now, uh, news articles. Um, and if I'm invited to, uh, to share my findings with the Department of Consumer Protection, absolutely. I have over the years uh, you know, presented some of my work both to our legislators in Connecticut uh, and also uh, other uh, organizations in, within Connecticut that are interested in this issue. What about classes? How are you integrating this into all of your classes with your students at Yale? So um, that's a very good question. Uh, I don't think we've thought that out as yet in terms of a center, but um, I um, you know, teach, um, teach uh, doctors at Yale who are uh, being trained to become psychiatrists, um, and uh, I, I have an opportunity to teach them over the years about some of the work that I'm doing and some of the work that's been published. I'm invited to speak at other uh, scientific meetings within Yale and outside Yale, uh, where trainees um, are um, are present. But that said, 
uh, I think if I'm understanding your question right, I think there's a lot of room for us to better educate um, emerging doctors on the science of cannabis and cannabinoids. I don't think we have spent enough time and effort in educating um, doctors and clinicians about um, the science of cannabis and cannabinoids. And that will certainly be one one of the important um, missions of the center. Are there at least some doctor students at Yale who you're coming across who are very interested in this research, who want to continue with it even after college, even once they have gone on and furthered into their field that they want to continue to focus on cannabis and mental health research? Yes, some of them do. I mean, and they come with different perspectives. Some of them are interested in studying the benefits of cannabis and cannabinoids, and others are interested in studying the, uh, you know, um, the, the potential negative consequences on brain development. Uh, yes, uh, we have a steady flow of people who become interested and then pursue it even after their training. And one last question, is there any other information that you'd like to share with us about this program that maybe we haven't touched on during our interview today? Um, not really. I think, um, I think we've covered it all. I, as, as I, um, I may, may not have said this clearly, that you know, we're just at the very beginning stages of this, of this uh, center, and so we are still figuring out who's going to be involved and what studies we're going to do, but that'll be a uh, that will be the next task for us over the next few months. Dr. D'Souza, thank you so much for your time, and I look forward to an update down the line with you. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. When I have an asthma attack, I feel scared. It's like tiny nails in the air poke my lungs. I start to cough. Sometimes I, my parents have to take me to the hospital. Today, one out of 13 children suffer from some form of asthma, accounting for nearly one-third of all emergency room visits. I feel like I'm choking. It's kind of like an elephant is on my chest. A little whistle sound comes out when I breathe. But while your child may suffer from asthma, asthma doesn't have to make your child suffer. There are simple ways you can prevent your child's next attack. To learn more, call 1-866-NO-ATTACKS. That's 1-866-662-8822. Log on to www.noattacks.org or call your doctor. Because even one attack is one too many. I feel like a fish with no water. Brought to you by the EPA, the Ad Council, and this station. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice. Vaccination. To protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases, like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller or carriage, basketball or soccer. So get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. Justin or Justine. 
Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Everybody, let's go, let's go. Welcome everyone to West High School Spring Bling. All right, I've gone through all the tracks. Just move through the beats. Do your thing. All right, everyone, let's hear it for West High's own Brooke Turner, a.k.a. DJ Hook. Scratching at my first school dance takes confidence. So getting into college, I've got what it takes. Okay, I went through the practice sessions. I slept good. I feel good. We will now begin the test. Please take out your pencils. I got this. We're all good at something. Maybe it's breakdancing or skateboarding or video games. Whatever you're good at, you had the skills to make it happen. And those same skills will help us get to college. Visit knowhowtogo.org to learn what you should be doing right now to prepare for college. Start taking the steps at knowhowtogo.org. I've got what it takes. So do you. Brought to you by the American Council on Education, Lumina Foundation, and the Ad Council. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 